you know, you, you, you try your best. It's a difficult situation. You've got uh, two large powers to, for, for whatever reason, political reasons, they don't agree on something. And then if you're a businessman, you just try and work your way in between these two hard rocks, uh, as most people do. And that is our theme today, between a rock and a hard place. Straight ahead on the Rethinking Everything podcast, we take a look at what one U.S. business group is doing to cope with the trade war in China. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Rethinking Everything podcast. Pat Milan here, Chief Insights Officer for Thunheim. And today, we're going to continue a series of conversations focused on the impact of the U.S. trade wars with a look at the biggest trade conflict of them all, China. China is the third largest export market for the U.S., but the gates to China for U.S. companies and their products are closing fast. If you want to see how the trade war between the U.S. and China is impacting U.S. companies, take a walk through the Hong Kong International Wine and Spirits Fair. It started Thursday. That's November 8th for those of you who might be listening later to the podcast. This is usually a really big business event for U.S. wine and spirit brands. But this year, Wines of California, the trade association, is the only U.S. representative at the show. China's thirst for imported wine, it's big. We're talking $2.7 billion a year in wine imports. Total wine imports have doubled since 2013, and wine imported from the U.S. has doubled in the last year alone. But unless President Trump and President Xi find a way to cool things down at the G20 summit later this month, every product imported and exported between the two global giants will be subjected to even larger and more expansive tariffs. With this threat looming so large, we decided to reach out to our network partner in Hong Kong, David Crowsdale. David has a long history of helping marketing executives navigate both the entry and growth in Hong Kong and mainland China. Right now, he's focused on helping California wines figure out life in times of trade wars. David, thanks for doing this. You guys are such great partners in Hong Kong and then with your offices in mainland China. Most of your business, it's helping foreign companies, foreign brands uh, acclimate and understand Chinese culture and, and conduct business. Is that not true? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Most of our business is inbound into China. Great. I would say greater China. So I, I would include Hong Kong and China in that. Uh, not much outbound work, although I do encounter it from time to time. What are you hearing from the brands? I know you're working with the California wine producers and others. When the U.S. brands show up uh, in the midst of all this trade war talk that's going on right now, what are they saying, and what are you advising them? Right. Well, you mentioned the California wines. We're, we're doing an event with them at the Hong Kong International Wine and Spirits Fair. And basically, there's a, a group of wineries from California which are coming to Hong Kong. Now, traditionally, they would um, aim, aim at the China market, but they realize there's some issues. I think... I think duty on wine into China at the moment, I was told, is 80%. So it makes that market difficult for them. So 
what they what they what they I, I talked to them back in August. What they said is they're actually coming to Hong Kong and looking at other markets in the region, in the Asia Pacific region. So Southeast Asia figures quite quite largely. And also on the side, they did say, look, you know, in Hong Kong, products do have a way of finding their way into China by whatever means. So they think it's worth their while coming here. So the group, there's about 10 wineries coming next week from California, some from Napa, some from Sonoma. Um, so, you know, some of them are high-end products. And they're quite upbeat about it. I mean, you know, they, they think it's worth their while coming. They're, the California people are the only representatives from the U.S. at the show. And it, it's a big show. So, you know, they're, they're optimistic. I, I believe as well that... California wine accounts for 90% of uh, U.S. exports of wine. And, you know, it's high-quality uh, wine as well. So it, it has a market. Back in August, I dealt with the same state, and it was food products, general food products, nuts, um, some, some products which are processed, oils, things like that. And a lot of those producers were aiming at the China market as well. But again, they see the issues because of the tariffs and that they're looking to broaden out into Southeast Asia. You know, and, and they admit themselves, some products might find their way into China. So generally, you know, you, you, you try your best. It's a difficult situation. You've got uh, two large powers to, for, for whatever reason, political reasons, they don't agree on something. And then if you're a businessman, you just try and work your way in between these two hard rocks, uh, as most people do. Shifting from China to Southeast Asia, it has its challenges. Instead of dealing with one government, you must now navigate 11 different sets of state officials. China, two dominant languages, Cantonese, Mandarin. Southeast Asia, there are 13 official languages for the 11 countries. But for many brands, losing the ability to export goods to the world's biggest consumer market, that's a real growth challenge. The opportunity in Southeast Asia is enormous. The area is home to the third largest regional population. That's 647 million people. Necessity is the mother of shrewd workarounds. Crowsdale says Americans are known for never giving up, and the need to keep China as a marketplace for American brands is going to likely lead to the creation of new supply chains and even the revival of some old supply chains that existed before China officially opened its doors to U.S. brands. David, where, where do you think this is going? You've been watching this for a long time, uh, at least the last time we, we chatted. Uh, you didn't think this was going away anytime soon. No, no, I don't think so. Uh, you know, China is a big country. They're not going to back down. And the U.S. obviously is not going to back down as well. You sent me an interesting story out of the, uh, I think it's uh, South China Morning News. The, the headline in the South China Morning News is that the powerhouses, the big export regions of China, uh, look to be doing just fine, at least in this first phase of the trade war. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, the, the figures that you get out of China, you, you've got to teach, treat them with a pinch of salt because each region reports individually and they all try and compete with each other and bump up their figures. But just from knowing how China works, I, I can't, I don't not believe the figures. I think I think those economies are doing, doing pretty well. So this is Guangdong and the uh, the, the the province next to Shanghai, Zhenjiang, uh, they're they're doing okay. Now, 
obviously they're, they're big production provinces. They can put their exports elsewhere. I mean, it's just in Southeast Asia, there's a lot of uh, economies here that will take those those exports. So, you know, maybe the, the way forward is if, if the US and China disagree, maybe China just goes its own way and the US just goes its own way as well. Because it, you know, it's a big world out there. Uh, and there's a lot of there's a lot of growth in in various markets all over the world. You know, like you take India. I mean, China's focusing quite a lot on on the Indian market because it's a big market. I don't know how it's all all going to work out, but I just I just sense that each each country will just go its own way unless they they resolve it. I've had uh, a few conversations on this subject now with our office in Montreal our office in Dublin, the EU, and now with you, and a recurring theme that I've heard on three different continents has been, uh, and I think you're saying this as well, when you talk about your clients at the California Wine Group, the revered brands will still find a way to break through because consumers, whether they're in Canada or Ireland, the EU, China, they'll find a way to get the brands that they really want. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just take take French luxury goods. I mean, there's a there's a very strong demand for those in China, and even if the price goes up, there's probably an equal amount of demand. The trade war is there, and people are just having to deal with it. And and some, if it's a strong brand and it's got you know good market potential, like like French luxury goods, I don't think that will will affect you know business at all. Uh, People just find a way around it. And living in this part of the world, I can tell you, they do find their ways around it by whatever means. That's the consumer side. What about the business-to-business side of this trade war, if it if it really does go on for a long time, as, uh, as you're starting to believe it will? What are you telling your business-to-business clients who are hoping to build, or perhaps some of them already have built, a pretty good portfolio of market share? What are they to do now? Yeah. What's your well, advice? Some of our clients, quite a lot of them are U.S. clients in the technology area. They've already got a very strong business in China to the point where, I mean, I'll take one of them, Seagate Technology. They've got a lot of manufacturing plants in China. So they're well established, and I don't think they're too, too concerned about things. The only issue for somebody like Seagate, they actually export products back to the U.S., so they they get it you know they get it on the other end if you're established in that market and and a b2b player and you've got a you've got a product or service that's that's in demand in china i think they're they're doing okay uh they can find ways around 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 things as well and also in china there's a demand for u.s technology uh because you know they're they're weak in certain areas uh and they know they're they are so they rely on expertise from Silicon Valley or from from the Boston area to, to help them develop products. There's a pretty big meeting in November, and if Presidents Trump and Xi do not find a way to get along, it sounds like essentially everything will have a tariff on it by February. If that comes to pass, what do you think your advice will be for the B2B brands? Well, the ones, as I said, the ones that we're working with now, they they're doing okay. I, I just think it, they just carry on business as usual. In, fa- in fact, I've actually seen 
some documents talk about the, the, the sort of tariffs and what, what will be imposed. And I don't think it will affect their business too much. The, the only issue is new new entrants into the into the market. It's going to affect them. They, they might be somewhat put off by all of this and, and look for easier markets to, to address, you know, maybe those in Southeast Asia. If you're in the market already and you're a, a big a big brand, I just sort of sit tight and see what happens. If you're new, maybe they'll just delay uh, their decisions for a while, unless they've got something that's really hot in, in demand. Um, this meeting in November, I believe that uh, Mr. Trump and Mr. Z are only going to meet on the sidelines. It's not, you know, it's not a, a big big meeting, so I wouldn't expect too much from it. I think it will just get delayed a while and just see, see what happens. Yeah. But for new entrants, it's just too murky right now. Actually, where, where I sit, Pat, I don't mind it too much because in Hong Kong, we're actually benefiting from the, the trade war. Uh, you know, th there was a lot of um, Washington cherries and uh, other exports from the US going to China and they, they were priced out of the market. So they actually came down to Hong Kong. So I went in the supermarket and Washington cherries were the you know, the cheapest I've ever seen them because there's so many of them coming into the market here. And then from Hong Kong, they're exported elsewhere in the region. So in some ways, Hong Kong's a beneficiary from, from the trade war. Yeah, but the population of Hong Kong is not going to is not going to satisfy. No, not. <laughs> yeah, but 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 it is a major trading hub. So things can be shipped in here and then they get shipped out elsewhere, uh, you know, to Thailand, Malaysia. Uh, Indonesia. So it, it has a, an ability to cope with these sorts of things. Well, we will check back in with you as we get deeper into 2019, perhaps in February if things get worse. And uh, we really appreciate you taking the pulse of both Hong Kong and mainland China for us. Thank you so much for all that you do. Okay. So let's just go back over the five takeaways that we got from David in Hong Kong. Number one, China is pushing its exports to India and the rest of Southeast Asia to offset its export losses to the U.S. Secondly, Canada and other countries not caught in the trade war are eagerly stepping in to supply consumer and B2B goods that are suffering heavy tariffs from the U.S. Third, established multinational brands like P&G, Coke and Pepsi are deeply entrenched in China and there it's business as usual. Fourth, if you still want to introduce products or services to China, consider supply chain partners in Canada or Southeast Asia to gain entry to mainland China. And fifth, our final point, Hong Kong is not a party to the trade war, and it too can be a potential supply chain solution. If you or your business partners want to access our team on the ground in China, David Crosdale in Hong Kong and Maggie Chan in Shanghai are available to talk about your business challenges. They and the 1,600 other professionals in our 110 global offices can be reached through our website at tuneheim.com. Just drop us a note and tell us about your challenge anywhere in the world. The Rethinking Podcast is a production of Tuneheim. Liz Sheets produced today's podcast. Nick Marcoulier is our digital editor. Jonathan Dew provided the research. And Maggie Renneke heads up our social and digital publishing. On behalf of the Tuneheim team in Minneapolis, this is Pat Milo. 